I want you to do this, if you would. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and find your way there. And uh, we're continuing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'll share with you in a moment kind of what we're going to be doing with that over the next couple of weeks. But today we're entering into a very critical part of that, of that series, part of that message. And uh, I want you to be open to let God speak to your heart today. You know, normally this time of the year is when, when a lot of folks are, are vacationing, you know, all through the summer, creating new experiences, going all over the place. And, and like you, you know, you probably have places you've been to that you never forget, right? That just have such an impact on you that, that you, you really can't ever take that out of your memory. And, uh, you know, for me, it wasn't on a vacation. It was actually on a missions experience. I got to visit a place that really around the world is one of those that if you get an opportunity, you really ought to see it. And it's, this was back in 2000. 2004. We're going to pick, put a picture up on the screen here. Uh, it's a place outside of uh, Agra, India. You all may recognize this. And uh, it's called, it's what? Help me out here. The Taj Mahal, which most people think is like this incredible place to go stay and visit. No, it's a tomb. Uh, it's, a, it's a burial site. And uh, the interesting thing about the Taj Mahal was it was built for the favorite wife of the Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan. And, and legend has it that uh, when he lost his wife that he loved greatly. He, he wanted to build something for her that would just be forever everlasting, which amazing that you see it if it is now. And, and what he did in this great piece of land out near the river, he, he placed her, her coffin. And he began the project of building this great temple, a great place of, of honor around her. And the legend has it that as he began to, to go through the process of building the, the temple and building the, the amazing, I mean, the, the architecture, the engineering, the, the incredible, I mean, down to the finest detail, he got so consumed in the project that one day he was walking from one side of the project to the other project when, he, when in the middle of the construction debris, he bumped into a, a wooden box and, and he was perturbed by it because it hit his leg and he dusted himself off and he called to one of the workers and said, would you please get rid of this? It's in the way. Only to be chagrined when later the worker told him, do you not know that box contains the remains of your wife? The very purpose of building the temple was forgotten in the midst of building the temple. The very purpose of, of building such an opulent, honorable, heartfelt issue to, to someone he loved was lost in the haste of the project itself. It began as a heart tribute that turned into a project and it lost its object of love. And the same thing happens, honestly, among those that worship God. We see it in the Bible. We see it coming in from the Old Testament to the New Testament where God wanted this, this heart-level relationship with us. He wanted this intimate relationship where, where worship wasn't something of ritual. It was something out of life flow. It came out of us. And instead of engaging in that relationship, man felt it much easier to build a man-made system that was meant to control the behavior of people, but yet it never led to a heart change that would honor our God. The Israelites, the Jewish people, had grown so enamored with their system of religion, they added all these laws to the commandments of God, and, and they, they, they came to a place where they were so caught up in the system that they thought made everybody get along, everybody behave, that they forgot its purpose in the first place, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. They built a temple, but they forgot it was about God. And Isaiah the prophet spoke to this in Isaiah 29. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. 
So here we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 coming onto the scene and teaching his disciples, those closest to him, while the, while the others gathered around to hear the words of the teacher. He taught about a new way. He taught about a new covenant, a new kingdom where the king would be honored and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught about a worship that was a lifestyle and not just an occasion. I was thinking as we were singing this morning, and, and, and as me personally, I really enjoy that corporate moment. But, but this time we've had in the, in the pandemic has revealed to us whether we worship God in, in season, wherever we are, or whether we just worship him when we gather. It's, it's difficult, but yet God created us to worship him. So Jesus began to lay out this process, this transformation that would happen in those who put their faith in him, a process that would change the hearts of, of men who would enter his kingdom, and then they would find joy. They would literally find fulfillment, blessed, happy, all the things we seek, he said, was found in those who would walk into this process. And he laid it out not as this merit-based religion, not as this behavior modification system. His goal was not for us to be good little boys and girls for Jesus. It was meant that we would be transformed by the power of his love, so much so that no matter where we would go, we would reflect that love to others. Because after all, we'd be the ambassadors of the king. So he taught this in a way that I, I think they, they struggled with, and we still do today, because we want systems. We want to do things that make a difference. We want to prove that we can overcome anything, but the reality is we cannot except through Christ. So we read in Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, this Sermon on the Mount that began with the Beatitudes. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God's gladness, he was saying, it's not received by those who earn it or think they deserve it, by those who would admit they don't deserve it. It's like a person that's, that's drowning. Instead of calling out for a swimming lesson, no, they call out for the lifeguard because they just know that without that, they're not going to make it. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. There's a gladness we discover when we leave the prison of pride and the prison of rebellion, and we repent and we, we sorrow over the sinfulness that separated us from God. He said that blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I love the, I love the meek because the, the meek represents those that are willing to be used by God but can't get over the fact he actually will use you. He actually will work through you. We say it all the time around here. Can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to serve our community the way we do? Can you believe we get to, to build a church in this area? It, it's, a, it's a meekness that recognizes, God, we're yours. God, do whatever you want to in my life, but I'll never get over the fact you actually do it. Verse 6, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's, there's something that has changed when we give our hearts to Christ. No longer do we pursue things that drain. Now we pursue things that actually fill us up and, and cause us then to act in this righteousness that leads to this day on verse 8 where we're focusing this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? They will help me out. They will see God. Father, we want that. God, we need that. Father, we need you. Lord, I pray, God, that, Lord, we would lay down preconceived notions, God, maybe past teaching over what this means to be pure in heart. 
and allow your word to speak, God. Allow your Holy Spirit to energize it, Father. And Lord, to change us, God, from the inside out. God, that we would be a people that don't forget the reason, God. That we would be singularly focused, God, on honoring you with every aspect of our lives, God. But we would also pursue what you describe as purity, Father. God, as we walk in that desire, God, of being in your presence. Father, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Purity of heart. It's an overflow, an outflow, you might say, of that hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Again, not, not a quest that somehow we would purify ourselves because we can't, but an alignment of our lives, submission. Pastor Chad spoke to it a while ago that, that instead of looking for God just to do everything in a moment, we recognize there's things that he asks us to align with and align our hearts with that really truly change us and purify us. It's called submission. It allows God to work out of us anything that hinders us from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. It, it speaks to those that know that our Father knows how to purify us. It speaks to us that know that it's not a, it's not a do-it-yourself, make-yourself-better process, but it's a, it's a joining him in the journey and allowing God to lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake that he would receive glory and honor when we align ourselves with him and, and really understand what it means to have a heart that is pure. I mean, really, if there's one consistent theme in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's the hearts. God's looking for our hearts. A religious teacher asked him one day, kind of to summarize the Bible, if he, so to speak, give him the cliff note of vision of the Bible. And, and in Matthew 22, he responded, Jesus said, teacher, I mean, you know, the man said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was saying is the greatest commandment in the whole Bible is it's love. He says, I don't even want you coming to bring a gift to the altar if you're, if you're not in right relationship with your brother. Go and leave the gift and, and go and make it right, then come back and honor God. He, he valued love in relationship, not only to him, but to others. In fact, in Galatians 5, the apostle Paul kind of summed right as he said, the only thing that really counts, I love this phrase, is faith expressing itself in love. God, I have faith in you that you can move mountains, God, but it matters not if I don't love my neighbor as myself. God, I can have faith in you that you can cure any disease, but it doesn't matter, God, if I, if I use you, God, as only a blessing machine and I don't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's really what we need to know that is important to God, that we love God and love people like you love yourself. Brother, the brother of Jesus, John, had a lot to say about this in that little, those little books towards the end of the Bible in 1 John and 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. He said, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. One of my, my dreams that I sketched out 13, 14 years ago before we started Hope back in 2008 was that we'd be a church that was known for its, for its love, that, that people would say, you ought to see how they love each other. You, you ought to see how they reach the, the hurting and, the, and that anybody can go to that church. And that's a great goal for us because the Bible says that ought to be our aim because love flows from our heart that functions in purity and in wholeness. But the challenge is, and I think the Beatitudes are challenging, don't you? The, the challenge is, 
It's to understand what it is that causes our heart to be impure in the first place and learn God's way of walking toward purity, that, that which now we can express life in a way that always leads with love. Back when Denise and I were serving as pastors of First Assembly of God in Waco, Texas, and I say it every time, no, it's not the Waco you see on TV. It wasn't that at all. But um, one of my men that was there was a great man, and he, uh, he managed the heart catheterization lab for the hospital, great hospital system there. And he invited me one day, you know, I, I'm trying to be his pastor, get to know him. He's like, hey, you want to come see a heart catheterization? I'm like, sure, why not? And when you grow up as a veterinarian son, you've seen about everything. So you're like, well, it can't be that gross. Why not? Let's see this. And, and I, I got to see what it was to, to see the inside of the heart, to see the veins and the arteries and to see what was taking place there. And what he told me was, was interesting. He says, you know, Mike, most people don't realize that they have a heart problem until it's too late. He says the effects, the, the blockage we're looking for, the, the disease that manifests through all these tests that we do, he said, honestly, they've been manifesting in a lot of ways, but people don't associate it with the heart whatsoever. You know, I'm not, not trying to be a doctor, didn't sleep in Holiday Inn last night, but I, I, I did some research, and, and did you know that heart disease or heart blockage may show up as simply back pain or the inability to sleep or anxiety? Loss of appetite, indigestion, change in vision, even loss of memory. I just freaked out a whole bunch of you this morning. These are symptoms. They are symptoms that most spend their life chasing or trying to treat when the real issue is found in the hearts. There's a disease, there's a blockage that's just manifesting itself in symptoms, but the problem is we like treating symptoms, but we never really go after the main issue. We mask it because we don't really want to deal with it. And the difficulty is, the problem with heart disease is many never know they have it until they have a heart attack. Now they're facing death. Can I tell you, in the spirit, it's the same. If all we do is look at the Bible's behavior modification system, if we use it to rein in our kids that they will behave or that, that we will just feel guilty about bad behavior, can I tell you what happens is all we do is we spend our life chasing the symptoms of spiritual heart disease, but we never allow God to get down to the very thing that really matters, and that is a heart that loves him and loves our neighbor as ourselves. But the heart's difficult. The heart's hard to understand. We read what the Bible says about it, and even when we read it, we still struggle. I mean, Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Man, it's it's mind-boggling. That Jesus zeroes in on something that his own prophet said, who can understand it? But the problem is, few know they have a bad heart until they have the issue. They have the heart attack. And there's incredible spiritual parallels for us to look at today. I mean, Jesus said most of the issues are really heart issues, and I, I, I agree with that. In fact, I, I believe it, and I'm speaking of myself and all of us in this room and those that are listening and then watching, those that are outside, I believe that a lot of us have heart disease and just don't know it spiritually. But yet we see it when we get under stress, don't we? When we see it when things are happening, we don't like what's happening. We see it when we disagree with a brother or sister in Christ. We see it when we are challenged in, in our faith or knowledge. And when, when, when there's conflict in the home or there's bad days at work or you're cut off in traffic, we see what's here because what here has a way of manifesting itself here. And what do we do? We say, oh, where'd that come from? Man, that's just not like me. 
I can't believe I said that. You see, we, we find out when we're going through stress what's really in the heart, and, and we, we say things like, I didn't mean to say that. But yet, the Bible tells us that what's in the heart has a way of finding its way out through the mouth. That's why they test the heart with a stress test in the physical, and we have to do the same in the spirit. So today, if you'll allow me, we're going to do a little heart exam. We're going we're gonna to get a little personal today. We're going to let God speak into our lives. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about God's process of, of developing a healthy heart in us. Proverbs 4.23, great wisdom says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So what causes heart disease? What causes a spiritual heart to not be pure? What causes us to stand in the place where if we do the math, we say, if it's not pure, I don't see God, and I want to see God. So what causes me to be in a place where, where we're not pure in heart? I believe the first area, there's three that stand out in the Word of God. Oh, there's a lot of other symptoms, but I think they're found in these three. It begins with really self-centeredness. It really begins with, uh, with a lack of understanding the world does not revolve around Mike Field or any of you. Now, don't start analyzing whether you have this or not. You do. I'll, I'll be the doctor who just nods and says, you are sick. Let's just agree, okay? We all have it. We're all born with it. We're all born with this sinful nature. You don't teach a child to be selfish. Throw three toys in a room and put four kids in there and watch what happens. It's, it's all about us. We, we, we don't have to learn this one. It's caught in our, in our inherent nature that we have to deal with because that sin nature is what Christ came to break in us, but we won't find it unless we find him and walk in his process. Paul, Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He said, look, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Oh, that sounds so good, doesn't it? We're just like, oh, yes, praise God. Do an audit this week of your life and find out whether you really honor and consider others better than yourselves. It's hard. It's not natural. It's not in us. We naturally think of ourselves first, but true love is always being other-centered. So the first thing that attacks our heart is really us. It, it, it comes from within, so to speak. Our hearts are under attack, but they're under attack from ourselves because we want everything right for us. And that's the highest priority in most of our lives. So the first thing is self-centeredness. The second, which, which again, again, I, you can bring a lot of other symptoms that tie to this, and we will over the next few weeks, but I would put it in the broad category of bitterness. Bitterness. Listen, every relational attack is an attempt of the enemy to destroy your capacity to love and to be loved. Every relational attack, every time we, we get at odds with each other, every time we're hurt or wounded or rejected or we, we have negative experiences or we walk in unforgiveness is a way for the enemy to separate us from that second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, I, I get that some may say, well, Mike, it's not my fault. I'd say, you're right. There are a lot of things that happen that just happen. A lot of things that are totally unjust. There are a lot of things that I describe that are just part of being in the backwash of the sin of the world. You had nothing to do with it, but it impacted you greatly. It's not your fault. But if you don't deal with it, 
If you don't allow God to heal it, if you don't allow God to take it and shape it, what happens is this. It literally defines your life in a way that no way is it possible for you to live out a life of faith expressed in love, which is the highest and greatest commandment. You see, the goal of the devil is that he knows if he can get us to hang on to our pain, it'll mess up every relationship we will ever have in life. Now, I found it interesting this summer in the midst of the pandemic, there weren't a whole lot of the good old Southern Christmas in July fairs going on around here, right? But I, I have to think about someone that when we get to Christmas, I, I kind of enjoy watching that, that speaks to this very thing right here. He's kind of ugly, but, but he's there. For the uninformed, his name is the Grinch. And he's described as something that's very interesting, and that is this heart is two sizes too small. Everybody's got a little Grinch on them. Everybody's the way for a reason. I mean, he was the epitome of, of what we see among us all the time. He was the one that said, I've been hurt, I've been embarrassed, I've been defrauded, I've been, I've been worked against so much, I'm going to wall you off, I'm going to go up on a mountain, leave, leave you alone because you're not worth dealing with. And in our lives, Satan goes, good job. Because the problem is bitterness is this. If we don't deal with it, we build walls up in such a way we can't express love to others because we're so busy trying not to be hurt that we just don't let anybody in. We run into church at the last second and we run out before anybody can talk to us because we don't want to get too close. We'd rather be where we can be anonymous and just take it in, but yet we don't want relationship, but yet... The only way that iron sharpens iron is if it actually touches. Paul, the Hebrew writer said this in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Look at that. Our bitterness, when we, when we get it into our lives and we don't deal with it, not only does it defile us and it robs us of the blessing of love, but literally it defiles many. Because now there, it just goes out as this attitude that others take hold of and just builds and builds around us. We've got to be so careful with this. Life happens. Hurts happen. No, it's not fair. No, we can't compare stories. Because your hurt is not the same as my hurt. We can't do that. We can't compare them and say one is bigger than the other. But we can say this. There is a solution that is the walk in the love of God who not only forgives us of our sin, but allows us to learn to forgive those who forget, who've hurt us. That's why Paul said to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 4, he said, look, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. Rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. These are all symptoms of that same thing, bitterness. So we see our heart is attacked by ourselves and self-centeredness but it's attacked by our circumstances and bitterness. And what happens is we get angry with God. Say, God, I deserve better than that. I'm sorry, when I read the Bible, I, I think I deserve better than that. So God, you owe me. And that's what comes out of bitterness is now we're not only mad at the world, we're not only mad at others, we've walled them off, but it leads to us actually walling God off. And until we allow God to deal with our condition, we're unable to follow the most basic of all Christian tenets, and that is to love one another. So the first thing that really attacks our heart is, is, is that understanding that we are sometimes caught up in ourselves. We are self-centered. Then the second is bitterness. But the third is another one that seemingly we can't do anything about, and that's what I just call environments. 
But oh, there are things we can do about it. Environments, worldly pollution, junk food diet. Can I get an amen? Not going to name names. Things that the doctor, when he looks at your heart, says, if you keep eating that, I'll see you at your funeral. Because they clog the artery, so to speak. They, they create blockages in us. Things we consume into our lives, whether it's, whether it's the spiritual junk food or it's the, the things that come into us through media and our environment, what happens is it anesthetizes our hearts to where we're not moved anymore by, by violence or sex outside the bounds of marriage or the loss of self-control through drugs and alcohol. We are becoming and are, have become a numb society. Our hearts are just not moved. Purity of heart is not coming up with a list that says, I don't. Purity of heart is living a life that has become so sensitized out of your love for God, you won't. You just, you just, you're naturally, just, it, it leads you away from those things that would hinder, destroy. Why? Because you see God. You see the object of your affection. And you don't want to get so caught up in the project of building your religion, you forget what it's all about in the first place. Again, these are symptoms. In Mark's gospel, Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders of the day because his disciples weren't washing their hands properly. They need to learn that. But in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he says, look, for from within... Out of men's hearts, he said, this is where it comes. It's not from what's out, it's within. Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. He said, we're so caught up in appearance that we don't recognize it's here. We're so caught up in looking right, saying the right things. It's kind of like when you're, you were dating. Some of you can remember back to that. Some of you would like to experience that. But when you were dating and you, you find that, oh, they're the one. And they just say all the right things. They act all the right ways. And then about five years into marriage, you discover their hearts. Because what happened is we've learned over time to create behavior modification systems that actually shield what's actually in our hearts. But under stress, under, under life, what happens is that which is on the inside comes out, and the Word of God is very clear, it makes us unclean. So the more we expose ourselves to this junk of the world and we don't filter it, then we're developing our heart disease. So what do we do about it? That's what we're going to focus on in wrapping this up. So what do we do about this? We see ourselves in it, and our natural thought is, oh God, do something. God, do something. God, I need a miracle. My heart is exposed. God, do something. Do your spiritual bypass, sir. Do we cry out like David in Psalm 51? Create in me a new heart, oh God. God, do a miracle. And he can. But usually the heart purity that God seeks, that we literally will see God is formed in cooperation with God and not just by God doing it for us. Let me give you an example. It may sound facetious, but it's I think it'll help you see this in the spirit. It'd be like a, a man going to see a doctor who's had difficulty. Let, let's just put it this way. He's battling acid indigestion all the time, acid reflux. He can't walk up the stairs without breathing hard. And, and he finally, after his wife has been on him enough, says, okay, fine, I'll go see a heart doctor. We're going to call him Fred because I don't know anybody at Hope named Fred. 
So the doctor runs a battery of tests on Fred, and he confirms. He says, Fred, we got some real issues with your heart, buddy. Now, you don't need surgery at this time, but, but I tell you, if you don't make some lifestyle changes, I'll see you in the operating room. So he hands Fred a sheet, like doctors do, of things that he wants you to go do at home, and that sheet included a diet. It also included a three-day-a-week workout plan. Fred looked at it, and he says, Doc, I don't think you understand. I can't do all this. I got a bad heart. Now, once my heart gets stronger, yeah, I'll be glad to exercise. I'll be glad, but, Doc, look, you want me to walk 30 minutes three times a week? Do you realize how much I will sweat at that time? Do you realize how winded I would be? And if you've ever seen me in workout shorts, you don't want to see that picture, doctor. The doctor explains. Because Fred's like, look, just fix it. You need to fix it. And then I'll consider this. And the doctor explains. He said, Fred, look, this is how we do it. The discomfort is part of the cure. Your heart is a muscle, and to strengthen it, we've got to exhaust it periodically. Then we, we let it rest. And Fred finally just kind of does the tick, 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 says, Doc, you just don't get it. I want to shoot straight with you. The only way this is happening is if you do something to strengthen my heart, then I'll be happy to follow your plan. And the doctor shakes his head and walks out the door. Now, that sounds facetious, but what is true in the physical is equally true in the spiritual. You don't wait until your heart is healthy to exercise. You exercise to get it and keep your heart in shape. In the same way, we will come to God and we use Fred's line of reasoning with God all the time. And consequently, we get the same results. We know there's something wrong here. We know it in our speech. We know it how we respond to people, especially those we love. We know how we act and engage in different things. We say, God, I know my heart's not right. So we come to church and we, we believe that, God, if I just sing the right song and pray the right prayer, God, you'll take care of it. For years, we would sing, change my heart, oh God, make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God, let me be like you. Some of you guys from the 80s and 90s, you know what's next. You are the potter, I'm the clay. We would, we, would just, we would weep and cry, God, change my heart. God says, fine, be generous. No, 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 no. We won't bypass surgery. You don't want it to change our habits. God, change my heart. I want to be like you. Then go love that person over there that you won't even look at. God, you're not playing fair. You see, for God to change our hearts, it's not as easy as singing a song or praying a prayer. It's just not. It requires an effort, in some cases pain, to change a heart that results in trusting God with a life that now reflects the love of God that others may know and see Him through you, because now you're seeing Him clearly. Church, we always want the miracle cure, don't we? We always do. The quick fix but as we've seen in the Beatitudes, out of this poverty of spirit, the mourning of our sinfulness, the, the meekness that submits to God in all ways, that leads to this hunger and thirst for righteousness, now comes these habits of mercy, purity, and peacemaking. And Jesus declares that these are the very things, in fact, they will be, make us what would be called blessed or happy or powerful in the kingdom, that happiness literally is that overflow of a healthy heart. Now, today we focused on the diagnosis. Starting next week, we're going to do a little mini-series within a series. We're going to call it the Habits of the Heart. We're going to talk about how then do we build a healthy heart. 
How do, we, how do we come around this? And can I tell you something? It's not, a, it's not a behavior modification program that focuses solely on you and your strength, but it does involve you. Because Jesus is very clear. He said, oh, there's a cure. There's a cure. That cure is, involves things like generosity without fanfare. The cure involves things like prayer that's not performance. Fasting that denies self. Forgiveness of others, not only for their sake, but for yours as well. Laying up treasures in heaven. You see, it's easy for us to become like the, the great Shaw and build our temples of religion to God and forget the very purpose that's there to begin with. That we would see him. That we would know him. That others, when they intersect our lives, would see God in us, working through us. And not just us all the time. The idea of purity of heart is very simple to mistake and say, oh, that's just about, hey, let me give you a list of 10 things not to do. The religious system I grew up in, that's how they did it. It was very simple. We don't dance, we don't chew, we don't go out with girls that do. It was very simple. We didn't swim with the opposite sex. We didn't, I mean, hey, we would talk about dance with the Holy Spirit, but don't you dare dance. Y'all laugh. Can I tell you, it's easier to be legalistic than it is to be led by the Spirit. It's, it's easier. Give me a list. Some of us like lists. I'll prove you I can do this. I'll, I'll, I will out-purify you. Because that's just who I am. But all we're dealing with is symptoms. And when the stress of life comes, then it does come. And in that moment where we need to see God the clearest, in that moment where we need to be so able to focus on Him and, and recognize His goodness and embrace it, our lack of purity leaves us in the fog. And what do we do? We just go to our own self-reliance and we miss the goodness of God. So Father, today, God, we just come before you as people, God, that need you. And God, we know you're our miracle-working God. We know your greatness. We know that just one word, God, changes everything. But Lord, your word's very clear. That God, in salvation, you did everything for us everything all we did was come to our understanding of absolute need we cried out god and even the faith we expressed you gave us that faith god lord thank you the lord as we begin to grow we begin to god be transformed we begin to move in that meekness of not only desiring to be used by you to reflect your glory, God, but, but being in awe that you actually do it, God. There's things you made very clear in your word, God. We just begin to walk with the Spirit. God, we begin to cooperate. God, we submit. And God, when we do, we see the work of your Spirit in us changing us. God, our outlook changes, God. How we see others changes, God. Father, how we, how we love changes, and God, we want that. So God, as much as I want to just lead us in a song and say, just change us, God, and that would be it, God, I, I ask you to help us, oh God, to engage.
God, to engage in your processes. God, to engage in your word, God. Father, engage in a worship, God, that is more than a song. God, seeking a purity, a focused heart, God. Seeking a purity, God, one that doesn't build a box and says, let the world stay out, but God, a heart that says, God, help me engage this world through you, Father, that I may represent well and know what it is, God, to live a life that honors you. So this morning with our heads bowed, whether it's you're at home or out on the patio or in the building this morning, maybe you found yourself in this pressure cooker we're living in right now of seeing the, seeing the things in the heart come out that they, they surprise you. Attitudes, feelings, things you say, things you've done that, that you say, I would have never done that. I, that's not me. Would you this morning allow God to take those things and let them be that place, not of guilt, but of understanding of your need more and more, of aligning yourself with God, aligning yourself with his word. Maybe you're listening and maybe you're here today and you've never really fully embraced this this surrender of your life to God, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can I tell you, it begins there. That, 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 that excuse that says, well, I don't have faith. He will give you that faith. That moment your heart turns toward him. And you'll find yourself being able to confess with your mouth that, that you need God and that you need forgiveness and that you believe in Jesus and that you thank him for his death on the cross and his, the resurrection that you're excited about because it gives you hope. The word says in that moment, you're saved. Jesus comes into your heart your, your life is forever transformed, but in that moment, you'll also learn, now I engage in the kingdom. Now I engage in the word. I need the church. I need others around me teaching, loving me, because God's forming your hearts. For those that have been walking that journey a long time, none of us have arrived yet. I don't know about you, but God's revealed things in my heart in these last months that I did a good job suppressing. I've had to lay them out and say, okay, God, show me the path. Because I want to see you. I want to see you. So, Father, I pray this morning, God, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion. God, I pray that, Lord, we would do what your word says, God, that we would examine our hearts. God, I know we can't do that perfectly. But, God, in a moment of just cooperation with your Holy Spirit, God, we say, Lord, Show us. Reveal to us. Put your finger, God, on that place that, Lord, we may say, ouch. But, God, it's where you want to heal. God, put your hand, God, on the place in our lives, oh, God, where we've just gotten used to it. It's just who we are. But, God, you're, you're wanting to shape and transform us for, God, who we can become. God, the child that you created and not the hardened hearts that's just been jaded by the world. So, Father, I pray during this time, oh God, we would allow you, God, to wow us, one, with your majesty, but also, God, that we would submit, Father. God, it's your way. It's your will. It's our desire to serve you. God, we ask this, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.